Pastor Chris's podcast. So 2020 may go down as the worst year in the last century. 2020 will always be remembered as a unique year. It's a unique leap year. Did you realize, did you remember that it was a leap year this year? Um, so February, we had 29 days, we had the extra day. In March, we had like 300 days. And then in April, I think it was up to 500. And then we quit keeping track after that because it had gotten so bad. Um, it has been really bad. I cannot believe that Tiger King was one of the most normal things that happened in the year 2020. Um, If 2020 were made into a drink, it would be a colonoscopy prep. There have been a lot of jokes made about 2020 being a bad year, but the year 2020 is the worst joke of all, I think. Um, But how how do we know? that it's going to be any better in 2021. We don't know. But if 2020 were a cereal, it would be uh, a bowl of milk with a bunch of cigarette butts in it. Uh, With all that's been going on, I've been getting a lot of questions like this. Pastor, um, is this the end of the world? (laughs) Do you think Jesus is coming back soon? It's on everybody's mind, especially if you grew up with a Christian background, and because Jesus said that he would come back one day, he was going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and that the world that we know and we live in would, was, going to be, was all going to melt away and was going to be replaced by that new heaven and new earth where everything would be perfect and pure. And it talks about that in the scripture in Revelation verse 21, or chapter 21. And so I want to talk a little bit today about the last days. Are we living in the last days? The Apostle Paul wrote about the end times to a young man named Timothy. Now you see, the Apostle Paul had, had, had many years, many decades of serving as an apostle in the Christian church in the New Testament times. But Paul felt that he was coming to the end of his life. And uh, he was looking at this new generation of Christian leaders that were coming up. One of those leader was, leaders was a man named, young man named Timothy. And so Paul hoped to, to give Timothy some words of wisdom. You know, Paul, I guess we all kind of experience this the older we get. We begin to see that we're not going to live forever and that there are younger people coming behind us, and they're going to take over the reins of what we've been trying to do in life. And so we, we hope, we, we, we know and we understand that younger people are going to not do everything exactly the way we did it, and that's a good thing. They're living in a, a different time and a different generation, and they need to do things that are contextual for their generation. We hope, though, that they will maintain the essential things that do not change in life. And uh, as they do things new and differently, they will hold to the core values that we hold dear. And so this is Paul writing to Timothy, hoping that young Timothy will be a Christian leader for the next generation that holds true to what is essential in the Christian faith, even as he adapts for uh, another generation. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5, he writes to encourage Timothy 
and to give him a warning about some of the things that he will experience as we draw closer to the last days when Christ will return. And he writes in 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And does it seem like the end is near? With all that is going on, it's no wonder that people are asking that question. And when we read what Paul wrote to Timothy here, it may sound very familiar. And in other places in Scripture, it teaches similar themes about how it will be in the last days. As Paul wrote to Timothy, in the last day there, days there will be very difficult times. And we look around and we think, yeah, it's some very difficult times right now. And he says there will be selfishness and greed. And we see selfishness all around us. Even when it comes to something as simple as, as wearing a mask. You know, they, uh, there's debate about whether or not you should wear a mask. But a lot of times people don't even make the argument about whether it is scientifically or medically helpful. Instead, they simply say, well, you can't make me do it. I don't want to do it. Or it's uncomfortable, and so I'm not going to do it. And it's kind of a, you know, if you think about it, it's a very selfish thing. Um, you know, my wife is a nurse. She wears a mask at work all day long for 12 hours and a face shield. And it is very hot and very uncomfortable. But she understands that it's for the good of her patients. And so she does it. Now, I'm not trying to tell you what you have to do. I'm just making a point that a lot of times regular people make, you know, their own selfish interests more important than what is good for others. Because there is selfishness and greed that flows throughout the world today. And he says people will be puffed up with pride and will scoff at God. What does it mean to scoff? It means to ridicule someone, not just their opinions, but their very character, and to just write them off as being ridiculous. And we look around at the world today, and so many times we scoff at each other. We scoff at doctors that say we need to do this. We scoff at teachers who are afraid to go back to school. We scoff at rioters who have a beef and, and feel like that they need to make changes in the world around them. And rather than dealing with real issues, we find it much easier and we are much quicker to simply scoff at people and say, look at that person and we make fun of them or we malign their character without even considering the ideas that they are trying to talk about. And it says that in the last days, 
People will love pleasure rather than God. Doesn't that sound like the world today? I tell you what, when I look around at the world today, I see that a lot. And I knew that that was there. But during these last few months, it seems like it's just been so much more evident. Because here we are gathered in a worship service. And um, we probably have 70 or 75 people with us online. And here in the sanctuary, we have maybe 15 people. And um, how many people are not worshiping at all right now? And some of them will say, and some of them honestly will have a a legitimate reason why they can't be on site because of uh, their health problems or things like that. But are they online? Maybe, maybe not. Um, On the other hand, those very same people will be quick to go out and and go to a ball game or, or go to a restaurant or go somewhere else, they're perfectly fine with risking their health to go do something that they enjoy that is pleasurable, but it's too dangerous and too risky to go worship the God who created them. And to me, it just reveals how deeply in our society people love pleasure rather than God. It seems that we have our priorities all out of whack. And it says that people will act religious, but reject the power that can make them godly. Something I've noticed over the last 20 years of my ministry, um, I've seen attendance in church declining steadily. And and not, not in any one church. I've served in, I think, four or five different churches. So, Um, I've seen that in all of the churches. And all churches throughout America are experiencing this phenomenon, for the most part, in general. But it's not that people are not interested in religion or spirituality. We actually see in the general population, we see a, a surge in interest in spirituality and religion. But what the kind of interest that we see is not deep, devoted conviction. It's more of a a dabbling. People dabble in religion and spirituality. You know, people people are, you know, they're interested in reading a little bit about Buddhism or reading a little bit about Christianity. And oftentimes people will take a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of of, uh, Native American religions, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they'll throw it all in a blender and they'll blend it all up into a nice tasty cocktail, and they'll just sip on it. A little bit of words of wisdom that might help me today. A little something that might inspire me for today. But they're not deeply convicted and not deeply committed to it. And it doesn't matter if the person that lives next door to me has a belief system that is absolutely and totally in conflict with what I believe, because neither they nor I are really deeply committed to it anyway. And so we can just sip a little bit of my spirituality and you sip a little bit of your spirituality and and we all get along because nobody really cares anyway. It doesn't matter if we agree or not. And this is the world that I see that we live in. People act religious. They submit to a religion the same way they submit to a fad diet. Um, one day they, they think, I'm just going to be a vegetarian and I'm not going to eat any meat. 
and then a week later they get tired of that, and now they're going to be on a paleo diet where they eat all meat and no carbs. And they'll do that for about a week. And a lot of times it seems like people in our country today, in our communities today, approach spirituality with the same level of commitment. I'll be this today and that tomorrow. And at the end of the day, we act religious, but we reject the power that can make us godly because we won't submit to what God says and allow Him to challenge us and change us. We're not willing to change because the God who created us said we need to do something differently. If it challenges what we want, we will, we'll just turn to something else. And these are all characteristics of the end times. And we see them clearly right now in the world around us. And I pray that everyone listening to me will repent of any of these attitudes and actions immediately because we do not know how much time we may have. Jesus promised he would return. And he will return in your lifetime. Either he will return for the whole world all at once, or he will return for you. But one thing is certain, you will not get out of this world without seeing Jesus. The question is, will that be a very good thing or a very bad thing? Are we living in the last days? Yes, we are. But so was Paul when he wrote these words to Timothy nearly 2,000 years ago. God has been working for a long, long time to save the whole world from the devastation and death humanity's sin brought into creation. The plan God details in Scripture goes all the way back to Genesis, some four or 5,000 years ago. We're not really sure exactly how far it goes back, but it goes at least four or 5,000 years ago. The most important aspects of God's salvation plan was for His Son, Jesus Christ, to come to preach the good news of God's call to repentance and God's offer of salvation, and for Jesus to give His life on the cross, to be buried in the tomb, and to rise on the third day. Jesus did all of these things. And so we are in the last stage of God's plan of salvation. But God is being very patient. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. We are living in the last days. But no one knows when the end will come. Jesus is full of wisdom and power. If people knew the day and the hour that Jesus was coming back, they wouldn't change. They'd procrastinate. That's what we do. We're so good at it. 99% of the people probably would even become more selfish and more greedy and more sinful and more prideful. 
They would live sinful lives for as long as they could because they knew if Jesus, if they knew Jesus was coming back in two years, they wouldn't start changing the day. So, oh, we got two years. And they'd start to do, they'd probably get worse before they tried to get better. That's why Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour when all of these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son himself. Matthew 24, 36. And then in the 44th verse, he says, so you must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. But I know when I look around at the world today, it seems like it may be all coming unraveled at the seam. It's all coming to an end. I get that. I, I, I understand that feeling. I feel that too. But as bad as 2020 has been for us, I want to show you a few things that kind of help keep it in perspective. Okay? So I'm not sure if this is exactly accurate or not, this, this first statistic, because the statistics are changing all the time. But I Googled it this morning, and uh, what Google told me was that right now, 727,000 people have died worldwide of COVID-19. 727,000 people. That's awful. That's terrible. Because every person matters. And every person that died it was somebody's mother or father or sister or brother or son or daughter. And 727,000 people have died. And that's awful. But let's keep it in perspective. A little over 100 years ago in 1918, 50 million people died from the Spanish flu. 50 million people worldwide. Whole communities were wiped out. And we think we've got it hard now. Because at the same time that 50 million people were dying of the Spanish flu, we were in the middle of World War I, where 40 million people, both civilians and soldiers, passed away. So if you put that two things together, you get 90 million people passed away of those two things 100 years ago. And we think we've got it bad now. Six million Jews died during the Holocaust. That's nearly six times as many people have died of COVID-19. But we look around at the world and we think it's so awful, but we are so consumed with our frame of reference. We don't look at things with a broader perspective. And right now, a lot of people are, are struggling financially. Economics in the United States are, are difficult right now. People have lost their jobs. Friday, Kelly and I wanted to go out on a date, and we were just, you know, I really would like to go to a movie. But we can't go to a movie right now. Movie theaters are shut down. And you think about it. Those theaters have been shut down for how many months now? I don't even know how. How do you come back from that? I don't know how. I don't understand how that works. How can, you, how can any business be closed for that long and then still survive? And we look around at all of this economic troubles and we think, wow, that's bad. But again, we're looking at this from a merely American standpoint, perspective. While I understand that people right now often are hurting or are struggling or have, 
I've suffered because, you know, financially because of what's going on. Think about it from a global perspective. Um, Nick and Heidi Griffiths are some missionaries that our church sponsors, and they're getting ready in January, hopefully, to go to Sierra Leone to be missionaries there. I looked up the statistics for Sierra Leone. The annual average income is $504 a year for Sierra Leone. Now, I know I make a lot of mistakes and misspeak sometimes, so I want you to understand I didn't misspeak. I didn't mean to say $504 per month. It's $504 per year is their annual income for the average person in Sierra Leone. My daughter makes almost that much in one paycheck at Taco Bell. So when we look at financial difficulties in our communities, we're looking at how bad it is. And there are people living in places, and it's not just Sierra Leone, understand. It's Sierra Leone, and there's Kenya, and there's Guatemala, and there's El Salvador, and you can go down the list and the list and the list of people who live in places in the world who are making nothing, that are literally scrounging around in the city dump to try to find something that they can salvage and sell so they can eat. And that's not like they just lived that way this year. They've been doing that for decades. And that, you know, can't you imagine one of those people, you know, looking for some scraps in the garbage so that they can survive? And they look over at America and they think, and you're upset because of what now? You lost your job and now you're getting unemployment? I don't want to belittle any hardships that anybody is facing. I'm just saying, look at it from a, pers- a global perspective. And um, you think we're living in the last days because of these hardships. When there are people that are in other places that have been dealing with hardships for decades, and they're saying, you don't understand anything about hardships. I'm praying for Jesus to come back right now because I'm tired of living this way. And what about people in America? What about the kid that is living in an abusive home? What about the person that is being, um, that is trapped in human trafficking? One of the big problems that we have in our country today. Do you think those people a year ago were thinking everything was great? (laughs) Or do you think that they were maybe considering if we were in the last days maybe even hoping we were in the last days so that they could somehow be freed from the suffering that they were facing. Don't you know that Paul and other Christians in the New Testament times thought to themselves, we've got to be in the last days because they're arresting us. They are torturing us. They are killing us because we believe in Jesus Christ. Paul, after he wrote these words to Timothy, by the way, he thought that he was about to die. And so he wrote these words. He actually ended up going on to live for several more years. Ended up going to Spain, preaching the gospel in Spain. Um, He came back to Rome and a big persecution broke out and then he died. But he died as a martyr. 
And they were arresting Christians and making them fight lions in the Colosseum. Don't you know that those Christians were thinking, it can't get any worse than this. This has got to be the end. Well, we don't know if these signs mean that Jesus is coming back today, tomorrow, or even this year. We do know this. His return is closer today than it was yesterday. And we don't know how much time we have left. Well, what difference does all of it make anyway? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sin and believe the good news. He preached that as his very first sermon in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's the very first sermon that we have recorded in the scripture of Christ. And it continued to be his message throughout his ministry. We, we like to talk about how compassionate Jesus was and how he healed the sick and how he helped those who were poor. But we forget sometimes that his overarching theme was repent for the kingdom of Heaven is near. And we need to take that to heart. Because the man God sent us to save us from the last days is the one who said, repent. If you feel nervous today because of all of the bad stuff that's happening around us, that's probably good. Because I think... Maybe it helps you to feel and realize how vulnerable you really are and how important it is that you repent and turn to God through Jesus Christ. This is the whole point of the Bible's warnings about the last day. It's to instill within us an urgency that we need to get busy on this. We don't need to put this off. We need to get right with God today. You need to get your heart right with God. If you're not a Christian, then you need to recognize that Jesus is Lord. You need to stop dabbling in religion and spirituality where you take a little sip and you get a little interesting, fun little concept or idea or practice that you can do. And instead... You turn to Jesus and you fall on your knees and you say, you are Lord. You are absolutely in charge. You are absolutely sovereign and you have every right, every right to do with me whatever you will. And so I'm turning it over to you. That's what it means to be devoted to Christ as your Lord. It's not just words that you say. But when you devote your life to Christ as Lord like that, when you trust in Him to save you, then He will save you. He becomes your Lord and your Savior. And you will find peace because you no longer have to worry about all of the crazy things that are happening in this world because you know that Christ is your Lord and He's by your side. And the very worst thing that could happen to you is actually the very best thing that could happen to you is that your life on this earth comes to an end and you are now face to face 
with Christ as your Savior and your Lord for all eternity. So what are we afraid of? Pray instead, Lord Jesus, come quickly and get us out of this mess that we're in. And if you're already a Christian, at times like this, it ought to remind us and it ought to motivate us to get busy doing the things Jesus told us to do. Loving God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Making disciples of Jesus Christ throughout all the world so that the world can be transformed. Praying and working as we pray in the Lord's Prayer that thy kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And that thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So are we in the last days? Yes, we are. But what difference is that going to make for you? What do you need to do today? What commitment are you going to make today? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ Don't come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. 
Christ is risen Bow down before Him For He is Lord of all Sing hallelujah Christ is risen Oh come to the altar The Father's arms are open Why forgiveness was bought with Precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ